This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. As you've gone on your journey of living the one thing, you know that this is not just about professional achievement. It's about thriving professionally and personally. The challenge is if you're like most people, we naturally focus on our professional lives. We think about how we can improve our careers, our business, our finances. But sometimes the other areas of our life, particularly for this episode, our key relationships may not get the same focus or attention, especially when it comes to the people that matter most, like a significant other. Because we're already in a committed relationship, we sometimes don't feel we have to put in as much effort. And gradually, then suddenly, the relationship can fail. The purpose of this episode is to walk you through a set of simple principles to help you enrich the relationships that matter most to you. Because we know if your personal life is not on stable ground, it absolutely affects your performance at work. For this conversation, I turned to the one person that I thought was most qualified to help. Her first book, Fierce Conversations, made a huge impact in my life. And she just came out with a brand new book called Fierce Love, which is based on the premise that our romantic relationships succeed or fail, gradually then suddenly, one conversation at a time. So how do we start to have the type of deep, meaningful conversations with the people that matter most when things are good and when things are not going in the right direction in a way that they will actually receive it and moves the relationship forward. Our hope is that you will be listening for one thing that you can put into action. Because if you do that, this podcast will not be time spent. It will be time invested. We would also strongly encourage you to pick up a copy of Fierce Love. We genuinely think it will make a material impact in your life as it already has mine. With that, let's get into this conversation with New York Times bestselling author and friend of mine, Susan Scott. Susan, I'm curious. You come out with fierce conversations. You come out with fierce leadership. You build a very successful business on this idea of having fierce conversations in a corporate world. What was going on in your life that had you realize, I need to take these really simple principles that allow us to have more rich conversations, but aim it at our personal life with fierce love? Oh, gosh. Uh, More than one thing. More than one thing. One, I was... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the one thing. You're the one thing guy in here. It was more than one. I was working with a client in Austin, Texas. You may know the client. And I was staying at the home of one of their leaders and they had a swimming pool and I got up really early and I was in the pool and I asked myself this question that I ask sometimes. It's, it's the same question I ask somebody that I'm coaching. You know, what, given everything that's going on in your life, everything, what's the most important thing we should be talking about? And I asked myself that question Slightly different, given everything, you know, that I could be doing next. What is the most important thing that I should be doing? And and the answer was, you need to write fierce love. And honestly, I think I sank beneath the water at the moment because I was kind of saying, no, you know, because I know what it takes to write a book. Then I came up for air and I said, of course, I need to do it. But that didn't mean it was going to be easy or that it was going to happen immediately. So, so I, I knew that that was important for me to do because I had given myself the marching orders and I really mm. tend to obey myself. When I get a strong message like that, I, I don't know exactly where it's coming from, but I've learned to trust it. Mm-hmm. So that, and then of course, over the years, I've gotten so many emails from people who've said, Thank you for Fierce Conversations. It's helping me at work, but it's really helping me at home. I just had the best conversation with my spouse. And, you know, when are you going to write a book just on that? So all of those things and then my own struggles. I think anybody who teaches something or writes about something, you know, nonfiction, it's because that subject is something they need themselves. I mean, they're exploring I shared with you when we were talking earlier, this this little Latin 
quote that I love. It's, it's sit fini libri, non fini quarende. The book, here ends the book, but not the searching. So the searching goes on and on and on and on. And just in my own life, with my own relationship, and looking back at my marriage and seeing all of the reasons why that was such a bumpy ride, and not wanting to go there again, and wanting to shine a few lights out there for other people so that they could avoid um, the mistakes that so many of us make. And I think, you know, the, the final thing, Jeff, would be that at some point, many marriages, many relationships sort of hit the ceiling. They, they, they plateau. They're in a, in a slump. Their perspective about one another and their relationship becomes limited. And they don't even realize often how sound asleep their relationship is. And so I want to help people wake up their relationships. I want them to, to, to understand what, why, why is it so easy to send love running out the door? You know, why is it that we don't disclose what we're really thinking and feeling? What is the topic that my partner and I have not been able to, to really discuss successfully that if we were able to would would mean could could make all the difference in the world and one one woman said I feel like my partner and I we've pulled off our own wings and I thought okay how do we get our wings back because so many people I know are housemates with their partners but they're not they're not lovers they're not really together they're just sharing a building and it's and it's very quiet, and there are a lot of things that are going on underneath the surface that nobody's talking about, and they don't realize that they're headed towards potentially a, a really rough time because yeah. all this stuff, you know, it piles up. It just piles up. Well, something that you shared that really hit me was people think about the conversation being about the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. You look at it differently. The conversation is the relationship. And so if the conversation stops, so does the relationship. Or if the conversation becomes limited to only, quote, safe topics, then we've got a very boring conversation going. We've got a very boring, potentially flatlined relationship. And so I mean, that that is the formula. You know, the conversation is the relationship. And so... Boy, if we if we add another topic to the list of things we can't talk about because it wrecks another weekend, then all of the possibilities for the relationship become smaller. And as you know, Jeff, I always quote from Hemingway, you know, in, in The Sun Also Rises, somebody asked him, how did you go bankrupt? And he says, gradually and then suddenly. And I just love that because I, I believe that our careers and our companies and our relationships and our lives succeed or flatline or fail gradually, then suddenly one conversation at a time. And what, you know, everybody wakes up if they arrive at a negative suddenly. Like, I, I love you more than anyone in the world except for this person that I met at work, you know? <laughs> I'm not happy in our marriage. I'm thinking of divorce. I'm whatever, you know? I mean, th- those are those are wake-up calls. And if that if any of that surprises us, it's because we were asleep during the gradually part of our lives. And that's where we live 99.9% of our lives is during that. So, you know, how do we, how do we stay current with one another? How do we make sure we, we, we know what direction each of us Mm -hmm. and the relationship is headed in? Are these things in sync? Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. 
And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Well, something that really stood out to me in the book was I've heard the expression, oh, you complete me, <laughs> you know? And in the book, you said that's actually not true no, because. The truth is you've got to complete yourself. Absolutely. You've got to show up as the best version of yourself and your partner has to show up as the best version of themselves so that one plus one can equal three versus a piece of me and a piece of you equals even less. Can you expand more on that to help people start to reflect on if they are even showing up as themselves fully? Yeah. You know, one of the one of the questions that comes up for people, my friends, my colleagues, my clients, is, you know, I, I do I really want this relationship that I'm in? Whether it's a marriage or you're just dating somebody or whatever, you know, do I really, do I really want it? Do I want this? And the and the thing is, we cannot answer that question until we can first answer, how's my life working for me? How am I doing? How am I feeling? It's not about you know, do I like my life, but do I like myself in this life? Where am I going? Where, where, where am I going? Why am I going there? How am I going to get there? You know, and how am I doing? Because it's very easy to project our unhappiness and frustration on somebody else. You know, I'm not happy and it's got to be his or her fault because they're not who I want them to be or who I need them to be. Whereas and that may be true, but we don't know that for sure until we've looked at ourselves and can truly answer the question, yes, I, my life is working for me. My life, the part of it that is purely mine, it is working. I feel really good about myself. I like myself. I mean, with all my imperfections, I still like myself. And and so I don't, I don't think I'm projecting all this negative stuff on somebody else. Yeah. So, so nobody, I mean, nobody completes us. We complete ourselves or fail to, and nobody's our other half or a missing piece or all of that. And, you know, that's a very popular idea, but if, if, if this person is your missing piece or if this person completes you, then if you don't have that person around or handy, or if the relationship stumbles or ends, then where are you? You know, where are you? This sparked some some pretty deep conversations with my wife. You know, when I have to travel for corporate engagements, oftentimes I'll come back and she'll say things like, I miss you and things are hard for about the first day, but then I really get into a rhythm and, you know, things go so smoothly, then you come back and you wreck everything. (laughs) That that is typically what happens in military families. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, my husband was in the Air Force and he would be gone anywhere from, you know, 10 days to nine months. And and when he would leave, I would take over and run the household and do my job and take care of the kids and everything. And then when he'd come back, we'd have to do this sort of changing of the guard kind of ritual. And we got good at it. But yeah, it's, it's I really, as much as I loved him, and I was always glad when he came home, I was kind of glad when he would leave every once in a while because it left me to be just fully myself and, you know, do things my way with the kids or around the house that I didn't have to explain to anybody else. And I, I, I really enjoyed that. It was an interesting realization of how when forced to, mm. we can stand up and be the best version of ourselves. Yeah. And sometimes the easy button when the other person is around is you rely on them or you depend on them. And you, it's almost an excuse at times for not being who you need to become. Yeah. I was in, I was, I taught a a course called the pursuit of happiness uh, or the pursuit of excellence rather years ago. 
And there was an exercise that we would demonstrate on the, on the stage. We'd bring somebody up and we would say, now I want you to lean on me. And they would, you know, lean, lean, lean. And then you would begin to step away and step away until of course they would, they would have to catch themselves. And it was all about not, not allowing someone, not allowing yourself to become a martyr to a relationship where somebody is needy and depends on you for so much, even depends on you to constantly affirm how wonderful they are, how beautiful or handsome they are. I mean, they need that over and over and over again. It becomes a real drag or somebody who's always needing to be rescued. You know, help me with this. I'm having a problem with that. I'm unhappy. I'm struggling. I'm, I have all these issues. And eventually we realize I've got nothing more to give. I am just flat out drained. And this person has got me trained to snap to whenever they've got a big problem or they're complaining about something. And so in the, in the pursuit of excellence, we would say now, you know, need to say to this person, look, I, I hold you absolutely able to work your way through these issues on your own. You know, you are intelligent, you are magnificent, you are absolutely capable of doing this. And so I'm going to step away so that you will do that, so that you'll have a chance to do that. It doesn't mean I'm leaving you. It doesn't mean I don't love you. In fact, because I love you, I want you to see yourself through my eyes, the magnificent creature that you are not this pathetic thing that's constantly coming to me. So I, I probably wouldn't say pathetic. I probably wouldn't say that. But <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Basically, it's yeah. like, you know, you've got it. You have to stop relying on me. There are some people who are just so needy. It's exhausting being around them. Yeah. For To put this into context for the person listening, if the conversation is the relationship, and then our relationships succeed, flatline, or fail gradually, then suddenly, mm-hmm. one conversation at a time. Mm-hmm. What was interesting for me that really stood out is in the one thing we talk about, get clear on what your 20% is. What are the yeah. 20% priorities that drive 80% of the results? In the relationship, you flipped it and said, what are the minimum requirements that I have to yeah. stay in this relationship? Well, and that's and that's in the the little chapter where I bust the whole idea that, you know, true love is unconditional. That is really a seriously bad idea. And I had a, I had a couple sitting with me telling me about their last few years that I hadn't seen them and everything was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. They were great. Their careers were great. The kids were great, blah, blah, blah. But I just had this feeling something else was going on. And when I asked, what are you not sharing? It came out that the husband had had an affair, but they'd gotten through it. He he ended his affair. They had, you know, it would, had been horrible, heartbreaking, but they were still together. And then she, she said to me, you know, we believe in unconditional love. And then she turned to him and she said, there is nothing you could ever do that would cause me to leave you. I think I shocked all three of us, Jeff. I jumped up out of my chair. I said, take that back, take that back. You've just given him permission to have as many affairs as he wants to. And you're going to be this little martyr. You're going to martyr yourself to this marriage no matter what he does. And I said to him, please don't, don't, don't think I'm saying that I believe you are going to have affairs, but she just gave you permission to do that and anything else you might feel like doing. And so I think it's very important for us to clarify our conditions and not the, not the, gee, it would be nice if, but the must-haves, you know, as you put it, the essentials. Here are the things that are non-negotiable for me to want to stay in this relationship with you. And I, I really want to know what your conditions are because there should be conditions. And if there aren't, then we're probably going to be like bumper cars, we're going to be bumping into all kinds of things. Whoa, I didn't know that that meant something to you. Oh, I didn't, I didn't think that would upset you so much, you know, or whatever. So we really do need to say, look, there are, there are, maybe there's just a handful, maybe there are only three or five conditions, but they're important. <laughs> Here they are. Yeah. 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 
When we get back, Susan and I will talk about two models that you can start using to have better conversations that move your relationship forward. Welcome back. Susan, I want to talk about how to have the conversations because I think a lot of us, we get to a level of comfort with this person Mm -hmm. that we're not as thoughtful in choosing our words as we might be with a colleague at work where it's like, no, you can't just speak to them however you want. It's not professional. There's, there's rules around that. But then you walk in, you walk into your house and you have the conversation with the people that matter absolutely most to you. And they get the worst. And there's nobody in HR who's going to call you into their office and say, Hey, right. (laughs) What are you doing? Our feedback approach has been so Oh my gosh, so well received with our corporate clients. And so I've just changed it. By the way, every every chapter has a, a true story about a couple. Names changed, of course. And how, how a conversational model is used. So feedback. We as human beings, we make up stories about other people and we behave as if our stories are true. You know, you say that again because that's really important. We make up stories about people and behave as if our stories are true. And we do that automatically. We don't even realize we're doing it. We, we watch somebody in action. We, see, we hear or see what somebody did or said. We interpret it. We absolutely interpret it. And sometimes our interpretations are right on and sometimes they could not be more wrong. So with feedback, the the... The approach, well, it's very important to stay current with our partners. I mean, this is, I, I hate these annual performance reviews. They're horrible, especially when they're not, they're anonymous. That makes it even worse. We need to stay current with the people who are so important to us. So let's say I, I see something that somebody doesn't, that somebody did that I think, what the heck? In fact, this happened at work where I heard somebody yelling into the phone. And I was pretty sure he was talking with one of our clients. So using our approach, I would say, this is what I saw. This is what I heard. That's where it starts. And then you ask this question, which turns everything from, you know, something unpleasant into a conversation. So I said to him, were you just talking with a client? Yep. I said, well, it's, you were really yelling. You know, can you, can you tell me what's going on? That's the magic question. Can you tell me what's going on? Versus the opposite, which is you witness him How screaming. We yeah. don't yell at our client. Yeah. What are you doing? That was a client. Yeah. What in what world would you yeah. yell at a client? Exactly. So, you know, I say, I, you know, I, wow, all that yelling. You were really yelling into the phone. Can you tell me what was going on? And he said, yeah, she is almost stone deaf. She will not wear a hearing aid. And she's constantly saying louder, louder, louder. And I always end up yelling and we always end up laughing. And I love her to pieces. And I thought, well, there you go. There you go. Now, if he had said something different, if he had said, well, you know, she's an idiot. I don't like her, blah, blah, blah. She's unreasonable. She Then, then that would have been a different conversation. But the thing about feedback is I need to check in with somebody. You know, I, I went to lunch with one of my employees and I got a call and I I, I said, look, I, I need to step outside and take this call. And I did. And I was outside the restaurant for a little while. When I came back in, she was pretty bummed. And she said, I don't get to have lunch with you very often. And this time is so important to me. And just, you know, I just feel like it isn't that important to you because you took a call and you were out there for a long time. And it's almost time for us to leave and get back. And I said, I am so sorry. I should have told you, I have a very old dog who is very sick and who is in the doggy hospital and having tests run. And the vet, that was the vet calling to tell me where things are. And I should have told you when we sat down that I might get a call like that and that that would be the only call I would take. I wouldn't wouldn't take a call from anybody else, but from the vet, yes, I love this dog. I need to know, you know, and she said, I totally get it. She had it. She has dogs herself. So we need to just say, here's what I saw. Here's what I noticed. Here's what I heard. Can you tell me what was going on? So that's, that is how to 
change what could feel like an argument into a conversation. But here's the other thing. People forget. Feedback could be like this. I watched you present to the whole group your ideas about the project this morning in the meeting, and you got so much pushback. I mean, there were some people who were really challenging you and, you know, sort of scowling, and I was watching you stay very composed, stay open, ask people to say more about what they were thinking, and it just made the conversation so much richer. I mean, you just blew my socks off. I I hope that you will continue to do that in all of your meetings because you really modeled for all of us the best way to be when people don't agree with us. That's feedback, see? I mean, you know, praising, catching people in the act of doing something really good and pointing it out. Yeah, the the thing that stands out to me, and I particularly relevant because I failed this morning, (laughs) which is um, where we unintentionally make indictments Mm. versus genuinely being curious. This morning, I made a statement to my wife and she looked me square in the eyes and said, honey, that's a story you're telling yourself and it's not true. There you go. And I went, oh, <laughs> and as somebody who loves accountability, even when it's hurt, when it hurts, I was like, okay, you're right. Versus I could have said, hey, I noticed blank. Can you tell me what's going on? Yeah. Genuinely asking with genuine curiosity yeah. to hear their side. Yeah. Yeah. Why does this matter? Well, it, it matters so much. I don't even know where to start. It matters because... For most people, including myself, back in the olden days before I figured some things out, when, 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 when we try to give somebody feedback, when we try to talk about something that is concerning us or upsetting us, it just doesn't go well because we just don't know how to go about it in a way that sort of describes reality from where we sit without playing blame, which is a huge hugely important concept to wrestle with. And it's not always easy to do that. But we've tried it in the past and it did not go well. It did wreck, it did wreck the weekend. One or both of us got triggered. There, you know, it, it became an argument. It got quiet. We, mm-hmm. And we haven't talked about that since. Oh, when did that happen? Oh, that was two years ago. No, we haven't talked about it since because it, it really didn't go well. And there are other things that we were afraid to bring up because this person is not going to respond the way we might want them to respond. And we, and we don't know how to handle it. We don't even know how to handle our own emotions, much less theirs. So we just avoid it. So meanwhile, it's all these missing conversations that are the most costly to a relationship. Mm. In fact, you know, Brene Brown talks a lot about vulnerability. And, you know, how powerful it is. And she describes vulnerability as as uncertainty and risk and emotional exposure. I totally get that. I totally get that. I just have a different perspective. I'm not saying mine is right. It's just different. I feel that I, if I did not be completely honest, if I did not be really clear about what I'm thinking and feeling with someone, then I have made myself vulnerable to somebody's interpretation. If I'm just quiet, I don't bring it up. I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to be, quote, vulnerable. Then they can, they can make up their own story. They yeah. can decide what's going on. They can take this relationship down a road that I didn't even know was there. So I, I never feel vulnerable when I am disclosing what I really think and feel. I feel vulnerable when I don't, when I withhold. That's good. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. The thing that stands out to me is we know we need to give feedback at times because we get what we tolerate in relationships. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us are tolerating things that are actually intolerable. Yeah. 
Because yeah. over time, gradually, then suddenly it leads to a place we don't want it to go. Yeah. And a simple way to call it out, say, hey, I witnessed this. Can you tell me what's going on? Allows you to have the conversation when naturally you would not have. Exactly. And you can even say, you know, let's say somebody says something to you that oh, it, it didn't land very well. I mean, you might even say in, in the minute, ouch, <laughs> that, that, that hurts. Can you tell me why you said that? Just, just even that, but, but saying in the moment, what I, and I say this, I'm so passionate about this, Jeff, because in my former life, I, I didn't, I didn't do that. If, if my husband said something hurtful to me or did something hurtful, I would just clam up. I would just, you know, get away. I wouldn't talk about it. I would try to, pretend to myself that I wasn't as hurt as I really was. And so he didn't know, right? So why would he do anything differently? I wasn't giving him that kind of feedback. And I don't think, I don't think that my experience is that uncommon. I just think there are an awful lot of people who say, we just, there are certain things we don't talk about in our house. We just don't go there because it doesn't go well. There's no point in it. And there probably are some topics that are like that, but not nearly as many as we think. So fierce conversations are not, I mean, there's, and I will, I'll talk about confrontation in a second, but it's not just about feedback and confrontation. It's also about doing a reality check, you know, with your partner so that you stay current. It's, we're not very good at letting people know exactly what it is that we love and appreciate about them in a way that will land because just saying, love you, honey, or good job, or thanks a lot, that just doesn't cut it. We, we just don't know how to have those conversations. And I want people to have conversations in which they connect to one another at that deeper level. And it's easy to forget that there even is a deeper level possible because we've been floating on the surface for a long time. Yeah. I want people to have just really meaningful conversations where they explore all kinds of things. And there are all kinds of questions to ask one another that help you see your your partner in a whole new way, help you learn things about your partner that you thought you knew. I mean, you've been with this person for 15 years and, and you think there aren't any surprises. And I can promise you that there are if you know what to ask and you know how to listen, yeah. So let's talk about the confrontation conversation. Why does this, what is it and why does it matter? Because we're so lousy at it. Oh my gosh, we are so lousy at it. We, and we, (laughs) I mean, we, you know, the the Oreo cookie approach, you know. Yeah, um, positive, constructive feedback, finish with the positive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In Australia, they call it the shit sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now if I do that, if I say, oh, Jeff, I just really, I love talking with you. I mean, you're so great. But I'm really, I'm, I'm upset about blah, blah, blah. Now, every time I come to you and say, oh, Jeff, I really like this. You're waiting for me to throw the other shoe. Or we, we haven't said anything for a long time. And we finally just blow. And it's like, man, it's, an, it's, it's a full on attack. And the person can on the receiving end can practically feel their hair blowing back. It's like, where did all this come? And of course they're going to either flee or fight, you know? I mean, there's just a lot of things that we don't understand about how to confront. So confronting is only after you've given feedback, you've been really clear about what matters to you and nothing has changed. And, you know, you're to the point where something has to change here around this particular topic. So it's the first 60 seconds that come out of your mouth that makes all the difference in the world. It's that opening statement, which you need to write and practice and hone. And it should not be longer than 60 seconds because nobody can survive more than 60 seconds of when they realize I'm just being called on something, you know. So... So first of all, you have to, you start, you never say, I need to talk to you. Right there, I'm running out the door. Because if you need to talk to me, that does not sound like it's going to be fun. So it starts with, I want 
to talk with you. That's different, very different tone. I want to talk with you about the effect X is having on Y, and you have to fill in the X and the Y. You know, I want to talk with you about the effect that your being away all weekend to play golf is having on our family. You know, or I want to talk with you uh, about the effect that your reluctance or disinterest in lovemaking and touching me is having on me and our marriage. So that's really important. You have to put your finger on what is it, the effect that what is having on what, you know, that right there, because you're being very specific. Then you give one example, maybe two, remembering that you only have 60 seconds for the whole thing. For example, you know, last night I came up, put my arms around you and you kind of were stiff and pulled away. You know, that would, so, so, and then you want to talk about, here's what the, the results, here's what results when that happens. I feel rejected. I feel whatever. I mean, just a few bullet points, bullet, 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 bullet. And if nothing changes, I think there's a great deal at stake. If nothing changes, here's what could happen. Bullet, bullet, bullet. And when I think about that possible scenario, it scares me half to death. I'm brokenhearted. I don't want that to, to be where we end up. So I know that, that I have brought some things to the table. I know that I have, you know, my DNA is on this issue as well. I get it. I totally get it. In fact, I see that this right here is something that I've been doing that probably affects your desire for me. And I need to change that. I'm going to fix that. And when we're on the other side of this, when this issue is resolved, here's the difference it's going to make, I believe. You know, bullet, 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 bullet. And when I contemplate that scenario, I am, I'm overjoyed. So I really want to know what your thoughts are about the effect that this is having on this. So please talk with me. So all of that, you know, goes into 60 seconds. But the thing is, you've been very clear. You've talked about what results this is producing. You've talked about how you feel, your emotions. You've named an emotion. You've talked about what is at stake. And I think it's important to use the words at stake. Here's what I feel is at stake in our marriage. You, you know, you fessed up to your own fingerprints if there are some, and there almost always are, because if you don't, then that's where they'll go first. So you might as well fess up to it. And, and you've said, you know, when this is resolved, I think this is, this is what we'll enjoy. This is the difference this will make. And that's how I will feel about that. And then once you say, I really want to know what you're thinking, that's when you have to just be quiet and listen, just listen and just ask questions, no matter what they say, even if you think it's ridiculous and, and it's upsetting, just say, would you say more about that? Keep talking, I really want to understand. You know, you could even say, I see it so differently, so please say more about that. So that as they talk and you listen and just ask questions and don't jump back in with more examples of where you know they did something you didn't like, just, just pitch your tent on questions and listening. Then that, you know, any initial freon of fear or anger will dissipate because it will settle into a conversation where in the beginning your partner might have felt, oh no, I don't want to go there. But in your tone of voice and your body language and the you know, the way you said what you said and now the way you're just saying, would you say more about that? I really, I do want to understand. It's no longer a threat. It's a conversation. Yeah. So that they, they, truly, they truly understand how you feel and they could never pretend that they didn't because you have told them. 
And um, hopefully there will be a change. When I heard there are specific examples of these opening statements that are 60 seconds or less in the book, and you really break down the seven steps to having that conversation, which, which you've outlined here, but it made me realize all the times where I did have frustration about something mm-hmm. because I did not know how to put them into words in a way that would be received. Yeah. I either said nothing or I said it incorrectly, which led to a fight. And even this weekend, I used the approach and I followed the seven steps. I, I sat down with Amy and said, I want to talk with you about the effect that X is having on Y. Yeah. And I told her a very specific example. I explained exactly how it made me feel. I told her what I thought was at stake. I own my part of it, my DNA in this. I told her, I, I, want, I, I want this to be resolved. And here's what this looks like. Tell me more. Tell me your thoughts. Yeah. Here's where it got hard. Like getting the 60 seconds was actually the easy part. <laughs> then she started giving me her thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when that happens. <laughs> and, and and that's what I'm just, I hear you in my yeah. mind going, Jeff, just listen, ask, seek for clarity. What's the story she's telling herself that makes yes, this exactly. her reality? Yes. I didn't bat a thousand on the listening, just so you know, but I did better than I would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. What was interesting was this was one of the first, I mean, we've been having some very fierce conversations lately in our relationship. And it's the first time where I actually felt like we remained connected at the end versus distant. Oh, good. See, that's what I want for you. That's what I want. Yeah. You know, when we first meet someone, there's always this initial attraction, the physical attraction, the spark, the chemistry. And we ask all these questions and then we commit to one another. And and time marches on and the physical the physical beauty can begin to fade and there isn't enough botox and filler in the world to keep one looking like one's 20 year old self eventually our age will show and so if what we have primarily i'm not saying this is what you and amy have because i know better than that but if, if, if it's primarily this physical attraction, when that starts to shift, if that's all we've got, then, you know, somebody's going to go be looking for the younger model, the prettier, that more handsome model or whatever. So we've got to have an attraction beyond sex, beyond the physical self. So fierce conversations are, among other things, a way to to connect at that deep level, to build something that is so much more than our, you know, physical attraction or our paying the bills, taking the kids to school, walking the dog, all those things are important, but what else is there? There's got to be more. There has to be more. Yeah. So, and I've been practicing it with someone in my life lately, and it's really been wonderful. I mean, he is strong enough to meet me right in the middle of the highway on this. And I just love it. I mean, our conversations are completely fierce and sweet. And a lot of times people don't understand that a fierce conversation can be the sweetest conversation in the world because when you, when, when even just one person tells the truth, a lot of fresh air enters the room. And when both people are telling the truth, Boy, you get a lovely sea breeze going in there and pretty soon we're off the shore and we're into that deep blue ocean of possibility. It's, it's amazing. So I've really been practicing what I preach and I'm, I'm swearing by it. For somebody who's just getting introduced to this idea, whether it's of first conversations or leveraging first conversations in a romantic relationship for first love, mm-hmm. where do they start? What's that one thing they can do that if they do that, it would make doing everything else easier or unnecessary? Well, obviously I want them to read the book, right? Because that gives them a sort of a, I don't know, a foundation from which to operate. But there are a couple of key things, whether you ever read the book or not. One is come out from behind yourself into your conversation with your partner and make it real. And do it in a way that you're describing reality 
from where you sit without laying blame. Because any conversation where you're literally or figuratively pointing the finger at your partner will not go well. So practice. How do I describe reality from where I sit without laying blame? How do I just say, you know, here's what I'm seeing. And then when, and then when they, they start talking, ask questions. And one of the things I will brag about myself a little bit, I'm good at continuing to ask questions after most people would have stopped because they thought they just got the answer. So I'm, I'm all for asking the question after the question and then the one after that. For example, if somebody says, well, I feel vulnerable. Well, what? tell me what vulnerability means to you. What does that mean? You know, and just keep going, listen, listen, listen. And then practice silence. Just stop talking and wait. That's hard for a lot of people. But silence can do the heavy lifting. And it is kind to ask somebody a question, then actually listen to them. Because a lot of people, they're, when they're asking, they're not really asking. They're not really listening. They're just waiting for a chance to jump back in and make their point and tell you how wrong you are. And so, so you be real, ask questions, and more questions and more questions, and listen and say thank you. Say more. What else? Thank you. You've really helped me understand. You know, I see, I see some of this differently than you do. And of course, any two people would see things differently. But now I understand where you're coming from. And it makes total sense. I get it. So just that. And watch your tone of voice. I think a lot of people don't even realize how powerful their voices are or aren't. I really have to bite my tongue all the time, Jeff, when I'm in a store and some clerk speaks in the little girl voice, you know, this little sort of valley girl voice, or I just can't stand it when I, I want to, I have to bite my tongue because now is not the time or place to take this person aside and say, you are so much more than this little tiny voice (laughs) you're using. (laughs) You're so much more than that. So, you know, our voice, the quality of our voice, the expression on our face, our body language, am I leaning into you? Am I smiling at you? Am I really, really listening? You'll know if I am, and you'll know if I'm not. Oh, yeah. In fact, sometimes, you know, if I can tell if someone isn't listening to me, I'll stop talking and see how long it takes for them to notice that I have stopped. <laughs> and then they'll look at me and I'll say, where'd you go? You know, <laughs> you went away. Where did you go? Can you come back? So, and I, I do, I want to say over and over and over again that a fierce conversation is about being real. And it can be robust and passionate and untamed and uncurbed. It is never unkind. And you can also ask yourself a question I, I have learned to ask myself. Does it need to be said? Mm. Yeah, I mean, there was, you said something at the end of the book. It was, it was three questions. Is it, is what I'm about is to say true? true? Is, is it kind? kind? And does it have to be said? Yeah. And I thought through some very specific instances where I made statements where I speak definitively, yeah. but it was a hypothesis. It yeah. was not a fact. Yeah. Uh, the way I said it was not kind and it did not need to be said. And shockingly, I did not get the result I wanted. Yeah, I, I think I think most of us do a, way too much talking and and don't catch ourselves before we start blurting out whatever is on mm-hmm. our mind, whatever we're thinking. But I, I mean, this learning to ask myself, well, yeah, is it true? Is it kind? Does it need to be said? That just, that has stopped me from saying all kinds of things and asking all kinds of things. So. Now there's now there's there's fresh air for the other person to be who whoever they are without me piling onto them for something that is maybe not true, maybe not kind, and maybe didn't need to be said. Yeah. Right. 
Susan, where can people learn more about Fierce Love? Well, by going to any bookstore and flipping through the book and seeing what they think and see if, seeing if it appeals to them and will answer the questions that they have. And then, and then certainly the company Fierce Inc., there is a way to navigate to the book and there will be more coming out. But I think if you get on the Fierce, our Fierce Conversations newsletter, you'll, you'll be kept informed. Yeah. So the website for that is fierceinc.com. And you can find the book Fierce Love anywhere books are sold. Yeah, absolutely. Susan, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate you and your friendship and your ongoing support and interest in what we're up to over here in Seattle, Washington. It's my (laughs) pleasure. Talk soon. Yes. Okay. Take care. Bye. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Susan Scott. As a business, impact is our number one core value. Nothing else matters if we aren't making an impact in your life. And this is something that I know for many of us as ambitious professionals, we can be so focused on our jobs, on our careers, that the areas or the relationships that actually matter most to us do not get the attention that it deserves. The consequence of those choices is not that apparent. But over time, what's at stake is massive. And for me, just understanding how to come out from behind myself into the conversation, to actually make it real, to say what needs to be said in a way that Amy will actually receive it, is a journey that I have begun. It is a journey that's worth going on. Our hope is that this will help you have the conversation with that person that really matters. That conversation that maybe you've been delaying having, provide you with a way to start having it. We would strongly encourage you to pick up a copy of Fierce Love. If you're an Audible person, get it on Audible. I've got it both in print and in Audible, so I can go through both. Again, you can get a copy wherever books are sold. And if you'd like to learn more about her, check out her website at fierceinc.com. Now it's time for you to choose. Will this episode have been an expense when it comes to your time or will it be an investment? The way you make it an investment is by identifying one thing that you can do based on this episode and do it. It could be as small as downloading the book or purchasing the book. It could be that small. Maybe it's you're going to use the feedback approach one time in the next 24 hours. Maybe you'll sit down for five minutes to journal your confrontation opening statement. What's that one thing for you that if you did it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary? Identify that one thing and time block it. And when you show up to that time block, protect it because it is that important. If this episode has brought value to you, think of one person you know who needs to hear it, share it with them. If you're new to the show, make sure to click the follow button so all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device of choice. And please consider leaving us a rating and review. It genuinely helps us reach more people and fulfill our purpose, which is to help you better invest your time so you can achieve extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. We look forward to being with you in the next episode. 